Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Fellowship Rogers, it is good to see you this morning. It's also good to see you, Mark. Thank you, Seth. You're looking good. You too. I like I, the blazer. And I must say, you moved quickly to change your batteries back there so fast, <laughs> yes, even did. at the start of the service. I what, had don't to you scurry. think? I had to scurry. Well, hey, welcome. If you are new or a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Or if you're watching online, we're glad that you're with us that way too. Um, we hope that you find this time and this place and these people a safe place uh, to come and exhale and just be in the presence of God with one another and worship him in spirit and in truth. So my name is Seth. If you don't know me, I'm a worship pastor here. And uh, I have a microphone and I'm not behind a guitar. And so... You know what that means. I'm going to talk about worship because they can't stop me. Ready? Ready. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds on why we do what we do here on a Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever you worship. All right? Mark, you want to? You want me to time you? Time me? I'll just... All right, 60 seconds. Here we go. Ready, set, go, <laughs> go. Formation, spiritual formation. We come here to be formed into the image of Christ by the things that we sing and say and pray and learn and do together. We're being formed. This is a part of our discipleship coming together. Two, inspiration. We come to be inspired by the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be inspired by the beauty of Christ and the gospel, by the music, stories of life change, to be inspired. And then thirdly, we come to participate. Participation. We're invited again to participate in the work of God in the world around us where we live, work, and play. So we come to be formed into the image of Christ, inspired by the, by the presence and power of, of Christ, 
and sent to participate in the work of Christ in Northwest Arkansas. Done. Pretty good. That was a little longer than 8 o'clock. Yeah, 63 seconds, but I'm telling you, the vision's compelling. So (laughs) formation, inspiration, participation. You got it. I buy into that. You got it. So a couple of things, a couple announcements this morning. One way that you can be formed and inspired this Christmas season, this Advent season, is through our devotionals that the staff has put together. Uh, If you aren't receiving an email daily yet, you can subscribe to those uh, by any method you see on the screen there. Um, And then also a way that you can participate in the work that God is doing and grow in generosity is to give to the gift. This is an opportunity we have each year to grow in generosity. And when we give, the elders take, take that gift and they disperse it among ministries here in Northwest Arkansas. And maybe some of it might actually go to Fellowship Bentonville as well. So, Mark, you're up here with me. Why are you here? Good question. I ask myself constantly, Seth. <laughs> hey, the, the last few weeks, I've been hearing a line that several of the teachers have used uh, that has just caught me. And it says that uh, hope is not something we wish for. Hope is something we wait for, right? Well, 2,000 years ago, the people of God were waiting and waiting and waiting waiting. Because a thousand years before Jesus was born, they had this promise of a Messiah, a rescuer. Uh, Seven centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah uh, talked about that this, this Messiah would bring global peace, and yet he still hadn't come. Now, listen, Israel's proverbs say that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Sick means to be worn out. And We know what it's like when our heart gets worn out. We have no peace. And so Israel was a people of no peace, living in a land of no peace, all because they were waiting for Messiah to come. And then on that winter night, Jesus Christ is born. And when Jesus Christ is born, hope ignites. And hope, according to the Apostle Paul, always brings two children with it. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So peace can be ours if our hope is anchored in God and in his promises. Well, this morning, we're going to open up a very, very familiar portion of scripture. What I'm going to ask of you is that you would breathe a prayer even right now that says, Holy Spirit, cause this familiar story to ring fresh on my ears, to open my eyes to see something you have for me so that hope can be deeply rooted in you and peace can be mine. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we do ask for that kind of enlightenment. We believe that you illumine your word to show us who you are. And so right now we ask, in the name of Jesus, we ask, give us fresh eyes to see your truth fresh ears to hear your hope, and then, Father, a fresh will to respond to you this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we gather. Amen.
Defeat the raging wars within and without. To inhabit a world with no rifts, no divisions driven by greed, factions formed in fear, insurrections born of insecurity, 
a day devoid of violence and vengeance, an age untarnished by religious rivalry. Oh, to see peace. Lions lying alongside lambs. Jew and Gentile, native and immigrant, slave and free, woman and man, rich and poor, black and white, all finally precious in one another's sight. Peace. When the interior walls that divide our hearts fall and the exterior battlements built to bar our brothers and sisters crumble. When tolerance is toppled by an overwhelming tide of empathy. Peace. Where justice and mercy meet Truth and grace embrace, and the law is finally only love, peace. When death is swallowed up in victory, all tears wiped away, all fears relieved, every wrong, every ill, every severed soul redeemed, complete and utter unity. Lord, let it be on earth as in heaven. Let it be. Come quickly to humble the proud, exalt the weak, restore us, your precious creation. Come, Lord Jesus.
heaven You took your place on earth Humble to a manger A lowly kind of birth A savior with a promise To reconcile the world The son of God incarnate To be called the Lord of Lords God is alive God is alive Yes, God is alive It dwells among
ever noticed how we tend to define peace? Uh, our definition of peace usually wraps around uh, the absence of chaos, doesn't it? We talk about the presence of peace being there when something else is not there. Chaos gone, problems gone. Uh, somehow smooth circumstances are there. Or maybe we can get back to normal. Or sometimes you even hear people use the phrase, I'll have some peace when we get everything under control. Is that not the great delusion? When was the last time you had everything under control? And ironically, that's not at all how God defines peace. From the book of Genesis all the way through the Bible to the close of Revelation, you see God describe peace that's, that's wrapped up in a word, shalom. Uh, shalom is the the Hebrew word for wholeness. If we were in Israel today, it's how they would greet you, shalom. It's also how they would say goodbye because it's their blessing over you, wholeness to you. You see, shalom is a, a peace that, that is so whole that it brings rest, it brings quiet, it brings this complete and total sense of well-being. You and I just use an English word for it, peace. And let's be honest, that kind of wholeness that's attractive, isn't it? I don't care who you are. We crave it every day we wake up. And yet, it's awful hard to imagine in reality. Last week, uh, John Barclay launched us in the first message of the Advent series. He talked about hope. And the anchor text he used for us was 
found in Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah uh, tells us that hope is going to be rooted in a person, the person of the promised rescuer, what the Jews would call their Messiah. And when he comes, he would be known with this title, and his title would be Prince of King of Shalom, the one who brings such a reigning wholeness that it embeds in your heart and starts to spill out even around the globe, that kind of Prince of Peace. Well, fast forward seven centuries from when Isaiah gave that promise to the opening of the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, a familiar story to many of us. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 tells us, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Don't forget how our world tends to define peace. Peace is the absence of chaos. And so this angel's announcement about the birth of Christ is, is anything but the absence of chaos for this young woman. In fact, the text tells us exactly what Mary's thinking and what she's feeling at this moment. And it gives us insight by using the phrase, greatly troubled and wondered. Another translation of the New Testament says it this way, thoroughly shaken, totally confused. You and I would say this is a girl with no peace at this moment. And what Mary doesn't know is that the next words out of the angel's mouth are going to about dial up that anxiety even higher in her life. Look at verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so the angel tells us that this Prince of Peace will come to mankind as a man through Mary's body. And that means for Mary, this pregnancy will change everything. First of all, it means broken dreams for her. Because Mary's engaged to Joseph. Joseph's a local boy in Nazareth. Uh, Joseph is a good man. He's not a wealthy man. He works hard. He's a man of noble character. Yes, he's a descendant of the great King David. But for Mary, better than his noble birth line is his noble character. Mary's glad that her parents arranged a marriage to Joseph. And now this angel's announcement tells her that's likely to be over. It probably means a broken engagement. Even more probably, it'll mean public humiliation. How in the world will family and friends respond to what seems to be adultery? And quite possibly, if the local Nazareth synagogue elders choose to uh, enact the harshest punishment of the law for adultery, this could mean death for this young girl, a death by stoning. Listen, 
At best for Mary, this angel's announcement means that she will be ostracized. At worst, it could mean she dies. And so if peace is going to be defined for Mary as smooth sailing, Mary has no shot at peace. But remember how God defines peace. God defines peace with this shalom, this peace, this wholeness that brings a rest, a quietness, a well-being from the inside out. And it happens to all humanity. And that's actually what the birth of this announcement tells us. In fact, look at the angel's words and the way he describes who this king, this prince of peace is and what he'll do. In verse 32 and 33, look back at the text. He says, he'll be great and we'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Men and women, this is God's greater global macro shalom that he is bringing to this planet. And God, in his great love and wisdom, is even willing to disturb a young lady's definition of peace, to bring a greater peace, a shalom, that he knows we desperately need. Through the angel Gabriel, God is issuing an invitation to Mary. And the invitation sounds like this. Trade up. Trade up to a bigger and better and truer and higher definition of peace. Trade up from thinking that peace means when life is not disturbed, but instead peace is when God is at work and doing his best plan in and among our lives. God is inviting Mary to trade up to a more lasting peace. And if she'll make that trade, her fear will subside and her peace will be restored. See, the angel is saying to Mary, Mary, if you want real peace, trade up to a bigger, deeper, truer shalom plan of God for your life. It's a huge invitation. The question now is, what will Mary do with that? How does she RSVP this kind of invitation? Look at the next verse, verse 34. How will this be, asked, the, uh, asked Mary, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Now it's real clear to me that Mary does not understand all of the details of how God will work his plan but she's quite certain that God himself is at work in her life. And she cannot imagine at this point not taking him up on his invitation. So to say no to God and just go back to her quiet life of no disturbance would be so disturbing for her. No, she can't trade down once she's caught a glimpse of the greater plan of God at work. And so she says yes to God. And she says yes, in my opinion, in possibly the most eloquent of human language. Verse 38, in my opinion, is the, the most beautiful line a, a human being can answer to his creator. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Why did he leave her? Because she had already received the invitation and embraced it as her own. She accepts the assignment. What a statement. Be it done to me, whatever God says. This is a woman at peace. Only someone with shalom in their heart could say such a thing. You see what this tells us about deep and true peace? It tells us that peace comes from surrendering to the will of God. You are 
You can have a seat. You know, over the last 25 years, uh, I've done enough marriage counseling to know that uh, there's two sides to every story for a couple. And Mary and Joseph are no different. Let's look at his perspective of what's happening right now. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, remember the big question for the morning. Where does peace come from when your life gets disrupted? I want you to see that Joseph's answer here is a lot like our answer when life gets disrupted. See, we tend to think that the peace only happens when we can get life back to normal. And how many times have you heard that this year in 2020? When things get back to normal, right? When this problem goes away, when the crisis goes away, when the pandemic lifts, then we will just get back to normal, and that's when peace happens. But for Mary and Joseph, there is no going back to normal. You know why? It's because pregnancy tends to change things forever. Something permanently is altering their lives. And Joseph's strategy of dealing with this is very familiar to us. If you can't get back to normal, at least just somehow get through it as quickly and painlessly as possible. We can't blame Joseph for that. He's just been dealt a devastating blow of what seems to him to be some kind of betrayal by Mary. Yeah, in his mind, his fiance has now shattered his dreams. He will not have the future he envisioned either. His reputation in the small town of Nazareth is probably tarnished. And yet Joseph is, is not a man who wants to make a bad thing become worse. He doesn't want to harm Mary. He's not trying to create drama. He just wants to get through this the quietly and best he can. He just is a man who's trying to find a little peace. Look what happens next in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. By the way, that's the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel's visit is not the return to normal that, that Joseph is looking for. And for a man who wants a little peace to return to his life, this is anything but that. Joseph is now going to have to find a new normal, and this new normal is going to create a great deal of uncomfortable conversations for him. Somehow, he's going to have to explain to his family and friends how the child growing inside of Mary is not his. 
but at the same time is not another man's as well. Yeah, don't you think that's going to produce a few awkward conversations in the town market? So if his definition of peace is somehow get back to normal or a lack of disruption, Joseph now joins his fiancée Mary in having no shot at peace. But the text that we just looked at tells us something about real peace. In the two names that the angel gives this baby, we see the essence of true peace. The first name the angel says is, name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Secondly, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And don't you see right there in the text, God is identifying our greatest need, the issues that actually disrupt our peace and create a lack of shalom for all of us. The first one is, is sin. And the second one is separation from God. Those are the two core issues that steal our peace. We need to be delivered from sins. And we need to be rejoined and reconnected to God. And so in Jesus, the angel says, call him Jesus, because the name itself means Savior from your sins. Next, call him Emmanuel, because the name means God with us. Folks, we think that all of our distress comes from external circumstances. The health crisis, the financial shortfall, the relational chaos, the job stress, the, the, the pandemic, the threat of death, that if all of those things could change, somehow peace would happen back in here. And God says that's because your definition of peace is too low. You won't have peace until you have shalom, a wholeness that only comes from God. You won't have shalom until you see the two issues that weigh you down, conquered and defeated by a God who can do so. Someone to forgive our sins and someone to be a God to reconnect with himself to us. We need the promise of salvation from sin and we need the presence of God. In Jesus, we have that. In Emmanuel, we have that. And that's what brings a deep and true peace. It did for Joseph. We see that peace comes from the presence of a saving God. You know, it's funny. I used to say that peace comes from the presence of God. This week, it hit me by looking at Matthew chapter 1. I was wrong. It's a terrifying thing to be in the presence of a holy God. But to be in the presence of a holy God who saves us from sin, that brings shalom. That brings peace. And Joseph knows that peace comes from the presence of a saving God. And look at his response in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. And he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph gave the baby the name Jesus. Now look at who's joining his wife and trading up to the greater will of God. It's Joseph. He surrenders to God's greater plan. I actually think this is what makes them such a, a great couple. This is like the original power couple right here. 
Both of them have resigned that instead of chasing after the things that they had said made the good life, no, the best life is anchored in surrendering to the will of God. And they chased that will of God. And both of them experience a kind of wholeness and a peace that just forms the kind of bond. And no wonder the Heavenly Father entrusted them with the nurture and the care of the Son of God in which he, and as he grew. Yeah. They learned where real and lasting peace comes from. Both Mary and Joseph show us. Real and lasting peace come from first surrendering to the will of God and second, from being in the presence of a saving God. And now I want to pause and ask you, take a peace check right now on your heart. How's it been? Has it been anchored in the circumstances of this year? If so, my hunch is it's been a bumpy ride, hasn't it? Pause for a bit. Ask yourself if you're anchoring it on the hope of circumstances or the hope of the promise of God. Now trade up. Trade up to a deep and lasting peace that's found in surrendering yourself to the greater plan of God, but also to enjoying the presence of a saving God. And in that spirit, when you're ready, would you stand? And we'll invite the Thomasons up to light the candle of peace. Join us as they come. Micah Thomason. This is my wife, Amy, our kids, Kate, Hank, and Huck. And we are so honored to be able to represent our fellowship family in writing, lighting today's Advent candle of peace. If you'll repeat the words of the scripture with Amy. Today's scripture comes from Romans 15, 13, and it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Son. He is our Prince of Peace. And oh, this morning we trade up to you. Forgive us for claiming a a sense of control over circumstances as our source of peace. We release control now. And we acknowledge that we are in the presence of a saving God. And we ask you to pull us into your greater plan. We surrender our lives to you. We thank you that we can trust you because you're a good and strong Savior. So it's in Jesus' name we gladly pray. Amen.
Oh, 
the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And all God's people said, amen. We love you, fellowship. Have a great week. Go in peace. <laughs>